You're listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is BaptistChurch.com. I want everybody to understand self-awareness, young people, self-awareness is critical to your life. And let me say this, what that means is, what I'm saying is, you become aware of your behavior and how it affects the people around you. You become aware of you. Some people have no self-awareness at all. You may feel like sometimes your parents don't. I can't believe, Mom, you said that. Dad, if you only heard how you sound when you said that. You know, self-awareness is important. Years ago, when Sheila and I were at the Missionary Learning Center in Richmond, Virginia, and we're getting ready to go overseas, we were with a lot of families, a lot of other people. We were with single men and women who were preparing to go overseas. We were with married couples of all ages, even retirement age, even older people that had retired who were going to the mission field, families that we were, go- were going. We were the largest. Our family of six was the largest there. Dr. John Wright, Dr. John Wright was the pastor of First Baptist Little Rock, Arkansas for years. Dr. John Wright was Bill Clinton's pastor. He was a brilliant man, a Ph.D., brilliant man, very classy, distinguished by even his dress. He and his wife were going to Korea, Seoul, Korea, to pastor the church in Seoul, Korea. And I don't know what it was, but John and I, we just hit it off. One day, Dr. John Wright was talking to me, and it was something serious. It was weighing on his heart, and I kept joking. I love to joke. I love to cut up. I love to be funny. I love to make people laugh, really. And, and, I, and, I, and I would, you know, little one-liners or little sarcastic remarks in this. And Dr. John Wright, this unbelievably gifted man of God, on his way to pastor the International Baptist Church in Seoul, Korea, all of a sudden stopped and got quiet, and he looked hurt. And let me tell you what he said, young people. He said, Jeff, are you ever serious? You know what he was saying to me? He was saying, are you aware of your behavior right now and how disrespectful this is to me and what I'm trying to tell you out of great hurt and emotion? Are you so oblivious to yourself that you're not aware of your behavior? Let me ask you something. Do you understand what I just said? Say amen. Do you know people who have no self-awareness? You know, it's a, it's a quality. Warren Wiersbe said this. Now, let me tell you, when he, when he said, when I read this, I thought, boy, that's a strong statement. Listen, you may not believe this statement. He said self-deception is far more serious than being deceived by Satan. Now, let me read it again. Self-deception is far more serious than being deceived by Satan. Self-deception is more serious than being deceived by our archenemy, that spiritual enemy, the devil, Satan. 
Sheila was sitting on the, on the, at the fireplace, and she looked at me, and I read that to her, and she said, I don't understand. Now, let me tell you how I explained it to her. I said, it's one thing. I said, I looked at Sheila. I said, suppose somebody comes to you and tells you a lie. And you know it's a lie. And you dismiss it as a lie. But let's say that somebody comes and tells you a lie, and they, over time, convince you of that lie, and you begin to believe that lie yourself. That, now you are self-deceived. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. You see, part of it is self-awareness. Part of it is self-deception. Uh, young, hey, young parents, if you want to teach your kids anything, if you want your kids to make it in the world, you better teach them manners and you better teach them a good work ethic, those two. The third thing you better be very much about is helping them understand self-awareness. This is when a parent looks and stops and says, wait a minute, stop, everybody quiet. Did you hear how you just talked just then? Did you hear how you sound just then when you said that to your brother or to your sister? Do you realize how just disrespectful you were to me just then? Do you realize how you was talking to your, na to your friend on the phone a moment ago? You see, what you're doing, parent, you're teaching your children self-awareness so that they're not one day self-deceived. You want them to be aware of their behavior and how their behavior impacts the lives of other people. And if they don't learn that, then they're in, they're, they're in trouble. So again, self-deception is far more serious than being deceived by the devil. Now, is this a problem? Take a left from James. Hold your finger in James. Take a left and go over to the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. Let me give you a few examples here. I want you to see this. Now, Jesus said here, now, he is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that was ever preached. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 22, well, verse 21, let's read it, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now watch this. This is a picture of self-deception. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I what? I never knew you away from me, you evildoers or workers of iniquity, which means lawlessness. Jesus said, listen, he said there'll be people that'll come to him and they will have been deceived spiritually. They'll think that they're saved. They'll even talk about all the good things that they've done. And Jesus said, I'm going to say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, the ultimate deception Take a, take a right from James, keep your finger again at James, and go to the last book of the Bible. In, James, in, in Revelation, go to the very last book of the Bible, Revelation, and look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Watch this. Now Jesus is speaking to seven churches. He comes to the last church, Laodicea. Everybody look this way. The word Laodicea means the people ruled. 
In fact, Jesus is outside. He's not even in this church. He's outside saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and will open the door, I'll come in and fellowship with him and he with me. He's outside. He's not even in the church. In fact, the truth of the matter is, the angelos, the pastor, I don't think he was in the church either. I think they'd kicked him out. This was a church run by the people. Now watch this. In Revelation 3.17, are you there? Say amen. He said, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, I do not and do not need anything, I don't need a thing. But you do not realize, that's self-deception, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and what? And you're naked. Let me, let me tell you, this was an, an entire church that was self-deceived. And so self-deception is a real problem. Let me give you another one. Take a left from James, hold your finger there, and go back to the Gospel of Luke. Because this is a problem that, that God's Word talks a lot about. In Luke chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, beginning at verse 16, Jesus told a parable. He told a story about a rich man. He said in verse 16 of Luke 12, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And look at verse 19. What does it say there? You see it? And I'll say to myself, the King James, I think, I'll say to my soul, soul, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up for himself but is not rich toward God. This man, listen, this man was self-deceived. He thought, man, I'm, he, God's blessed me. God's given me an unba- a bountiful crop. I, I don't even have nowhere to put it. I'm going to have to tear down my barns. I'm going to have to build bigger barns. He was oblivious. He was convinced. He was self-deceived. He thought that his life of plenty was God's blessing on his life, and God said, you are a fool. Self-deception is a problem. And it required, the only thing that can, that can straighten it out is self-awareness. Some people are oblivious. You know, sometimes Sheila and I will eat, and all of a sudden I realize, I'll go, I'm monopolizing the conversation. You ever do that? You ever think you're sitting there talking to somebody, and you, and you think, ooh, I'm doing all the talking. Somebody's being quiet at the table. I need, to, I need to be sensitive to that. You see, that's critical in the life of a believer. Because what does that do? That helps us to be in tune to people who are hurting around us. And that's what James is even talking about here. And so the problem is sometimes we're self-deceived. We, we don't realize it. It, you know, it's kind of, I don't know if you remember Andy Griffith and Thelma Lou. They were having a conversation because Barney was in the choir. And, and, and Barney, listen, Barney Fife couldn't sing a lick. 
I mean, that's just how they said it. But the only problem is, is that Barney Fife didn't realize it. He had no self-awareness. He was self-deceived. Listen, he thought he, listen, he thought he was the best voice in the whole choir. That made him just sing louder. And you remember they were in for a competition. They had something going on, and they were trying to get Barney out of the choir, and they just couldn't help Barney to see it. And, and Andy, Andy looks at Thelma Lou and he says, Thelma Lou, we got to do something. We got we to get Barney out of the choir because he, he can't sing at all. And she looked up at Andy and she said, not a lick. Let me tell you something. Let me ask you something. How often do you and I look like Barney Fife? How often are we the one that may be doing things that we're, not, we're, we're no longer even aware of it? You know, one of the things that I say to parents, teenagers, listen deep. Listen deep. Talked to a man this past week, and I said, you better watch your kids, and you better watch those sons, because they are at a dangerous place, and you don't want to lose them, and you don't want them to do something stupid. The reality is, is the danger of deception. Look what he says in verse 22. He said, do not merely listen to the word and so do what? What does he say there? And so deceive who? Who are you deceiving? Yourself. In the Amplified Bible, it says this, but prove yourself doers of the word, actively and continually obeying God's precepts, not merely listeners who hear the word but fail to internalize it's meaning deluding yourselves by unsound reasoning contrary to the truth. Look at verse 26 in St. James 1. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he does what? What does he do? He deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Wow. You know one of the most difficult things of counseling is this. Do you know what a counselor does a lot of times? You know what a counselor is doing a lot of times? A counselor is trying to awaken somebody to themselves, to recognize, to be aware of themselves, for a wife to realize, do you, do you know how disrespectful you talk to your husband in that public place, how you ripped him up and tore him down? Do you realize how diminishing and demeaning you were to your wife and you weren't even aware of? Do you know that one of the most difficult problems in counseling is bringing men and women to a point where they begin to recognize that the life that they're living and the behavior that they are exemplifying is destroying the relationships of the people around them? It's one of the great difficulties, self-deception in life, in marriage, in parenting, in job. Destructive personality traits that people sometimes have and they don't even realize it anymore. And you may say, well, wait a minute, they've got the Holy Spirit living in them. That's right. And they're quenching and grieving that Holy Spirit because they don't want to know the truth about themselves. 
Did it hurt when Dr. John Wright said that? You better believe it because I wanted to earn that man's respect. That man loved me. That man saw something in me that I couldn't even see in myself. When he left, when we left, the last thing he did was he gave me an expensive pair of, of casual shoes. And my friend, they were top of the line, the best shoes that you could get. He said, Jeff, he said, I've only wore these a few times. But he said, you're going to be in Africa and you're going to be walking a lot and I want you to wear it. And you know what? I put those shoes on and I wore them every day all over Zimbabwe, all over many places in Africa. And when I left, I handed them to an African and said, you wear them now. What John Wright taught me that day was painful. i tell you one thing, it hurt. And let me tell you, when people tell you the truth about yourself, let me tell you what will happen. First of, all, first of all, you get angry. Well, what right do you have to say that to me? You're no better than I am. Well, you told me that. Well, let me tell you a few things about yourself. You know what you're doing? You're putting up a defense. And if all else fails, you say, well, it's just the way I am. It's the way my daddy was, the way my grandfather was, the way my mama was. It's just the way I am. It's the way God made me. No, God didn't make you that way. Sin made you that way. You lose compassion and mercy. You lose that ability to be sensitive to the people around you. You create these behavioral patterns in your life. You think anger is something that is a good thing. Well, my daddy was a, had a temper. My grandfather had a temper. It's just the way I've been wired. No, it's not. It's your sinful nature that is not coming under the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. God loves you too much to let you behave unchristlike when you're angry. The Bible said be angry, but you be angry under the control of the Holy Spirit. Parent, if you are angry, shut your mouth put the discipline away, and walk out of the house. Because in a moment of anger, you can do an unbelievable amount of damage, and you can say things that you'll later regret, and you can never take back. You never parent, you never discipline when you are angry, and you've reached a point that the best thing to do is to walk away. Ladies, let me say this. When you're in a disagreement with your husband and he walks away, God knows don't chase him across the backyard determined to settle the matter. Leave him alone. He's physical by nature. Best thing to do is leave him alone. Let him go. All that I'm saying is self-awareness. And twice James says it here. He says the danger is, is that we become self-deceived. You know, uh, reform, those reformed in the reform faiths, Calvinists, uh, they often talk about Martin Luther. Martin Luther did not like the book of James. He called it the gospel of straw. He called it strawish. In fact, when he was translating the Bible, he took the gospel of James and he put it in the appendix of his Bible. He did not like it because he saw it in conflict with justification by faith alone. David Paulson said this. He reminded his congregation that Martin Luther, now I'm talking about the reformer of the 1400s, that Martin Luther was not infallible, meaning they, including Luther, are capable of errors. They are fallible. In other words, they make mistakes. They are not infallible. 
Let me read to you 2.14, because this is one of the verses Martin Luther had a problem with. What is this benefit, my fellow believers, if someone claims to have faith but has no good works as evidence? Can that kind of faith save him? No, a mere claim of faith is not sufficient genuine faith that produces works. What is he saying there? What was James? Why was James talking about deception? Why is he talking about being deceived? Everybody listen closely if you don't hear anything else. If you and I are deceived about our salvation, our eternal security, our faith and our trust and our relationship in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ listen, I FaceTimed with a couple this week where, the, where a young lady was struggling and battling with the idea that God could love her unconditionally. She just wept and cried. But the reality is, is there's a danger here. And the danger is, is that I think I'm saved, but I'm not. I one day stand before the judgment and God says, Depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Well, Lord, whoa, wait a minute. I was baptized. I, my name was on the membership of the church. I did this, I did that. Jesus said, yeah, you did all of that, but you didn't know me. I didn't know you. What James is saying is, is that you and I can be deceived. We can have a profession of faith, but all it is is talk. It's not backed up by anything. There are people sitting at home, parents sitting at home, watching this. There are parents that are small children. They're sitting at home right now. And you know what they're doing? They're paving the way for children to bring heartache, suffering, and pain into their life. They have no idea that that three-year-old they think is easy to raise will one day be a 13-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old, a 19-year-old, and they'll be up at 1 and 2 o'clock in the morning going through hell. Why? Because they never trained up a child in the way they should go. And when that child was old, bearded chin, puberty, they began to go in a way. Why? Because a parent didn't put boundaries and didn't teach them spiritual maturity and help point them to Christ. The most powerful scene in this praise and worship a moment ago was when those little children began to gather over there around that cross. There was nothing more moving I think at that point, listen, I think at that point the banisters of heaven were as if people were all of a sudden, those that have gone on before us, the angelic army, Christ himself leaned over. God said, look at that cross there. Look at those children gathered around that cross. Oh, how powerful. Problem is, is that, you know, in a simple illustration, I come in, if I came up to this pulpit, I walked in, said, could I have everybody's attention? The uh, building is on fire. It is, uh, it's, uh, it's, not, it's bad. Uh, Jeffrey, would you now lead us in worship? You'd say, well, you don't believe it. And let me tell you, there are a lot of men who, men who stand behind the pulpit today by the sound of their preaching, they don't believe it at all. I had a man say to me this week talking about a pastor, a pastor near retirement, who made a statement. He said, that doesn't sound like what a, what a man who spent over 40 years in his life in ministry. And, and this individual looked at me and said this about this pastor. He said, something is tragically wrong with him. And that's true. Pastor can be self-deceived. 
Deacons can be self-deceived. Young people can be self-deceived. You know, the Titanic, the loss in the Titanic, you know why? Do you know why there were so many people that lost their life? Do you know that on the lifeboats, they could hold 75? One lifeboat had 12? Do you know that on the lifeboats, there was over 500 pounds? According to congressional reports, there were over 500 pounds of bread on the lifeboats, while the third class men, women, and children were locked below in the bottom and the hull of that Titanic. And when they tried to come up the, the balcony, coming up the steps, the porters were kicking the third class back down the stairwell and locking them down. And before long, they began to come up like ants, too late to have had an opportunity. And I've said that to a lot of our denominations that have ripped out of this city, churches, the problem is is that a lot of times what you have done you have kept people from getting to the lifeboat of Jesus Christ 12 people on a lifeboat that had 75 500 pounds of bread do you know why those lifeboats were not filled everybody listen closely because a lot of the people on the Titanic did not believe that it was sinkable you remember the news caption when they launched the Titanic they said unsinkable and this is what they said God cannot sink this ship wow I wouldn't have got on it you see I wrote this down. It's the mark of maturity. Listen to this. When a man or a woman faces themselves honestly, when they know both their strengths and their weaknesses, when they're self-aware of their own personal conduct, when they learn to shut up sometimes and listen, and when, hear me, and when they learn to listen to themselves, And when that happens, that's when the Holy Spirit is in absolute, complete, complete control. You know what I'm talking about? Listen, let me give you some examples. You say something, and then you immediately go, wait, wait a minute, that really wasn't right. That really wasn't true. That wasn't correct. Listen, everybody listen. When somebody does that to me, you know what I think? I smile and think, boy, that's the Holy Spirit probably immediately going... Why did you say that? That wasn't right. You see, I don't need Sheila to tell me. I shouldn't need Sheila to tell me when I sound mean or brash or rude or disrespectful or in, unmerciful or whatever it may be. I don't need Sheila to tell me that. I've got the indwelling Holy Spirit. I've got Jesus that we were talking about a moment ago in Sunday school who handled a woman called in adultery. He handled the mob. He handled the crowd. He handled the religious leaders who were ready to stone her. And then he handled her. And he handled her tenderly. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit in your life to make you aware of how you sound, how you act, how you behave, and how I sound, how I act, and how I behave. But the problem is, a lot of times we do not listen. And those rare moments when we go, when we stop, imagine you're with other people and you say something disrespectful, demeaning to your spouse, and all of a sudden in that moment you stop, take full responsibility, you say, wait a minute, first of all, I'm sorry. 
Sheila, I'm sorry that I sound that way. That wasn't right. And then you look at the people around you and you go, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. That was disrespectful. Forgive me. That didn't come out right. Forgive me, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. Those are people that are not only not self-deceived, those are people who have a keen self-awareness because they are not quenching and grieving God's Holy Spirit. They're sensitive to it. They're listening to Him. And He's speaking clearly. Well, I've got to close and I haven't even gotten into the meat of the message because I wanted to get to verse 21 because, you know, a lot of times we say, well, you know, what's the key here? Look at verse 21. We'll close. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and watch this and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now, let me, let me explain it this way. Everybody listen closely. The psalmist said it this way. Listen. He said, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin against God. Okay? So I, I hide the word of God in my in my now Sheila and I we went to Barnes and Noble about three weeks ago. And, and my dad'll be watching later. My dad'll tell you that I love shoes. I'm as bad as a woman. I love a good pair of shoes. Willie knows they laugh when Marge when you had your place over there at the outlet. Man, I used we used to love to go eat after our LTG over there. Marge would do and goo and take care of us and man, we just had the best time over there. But Willie knew I was gonna go through Johnson and Murphy's just to look at the clearance section of shoes. I love shoes. And uh, man, I got a lot of shoes. I love shoes. And when I was a kid I didn't have many shoes. And we didn't have a lot. And my dad, my dad brought, mom got me a pair of cowboy boots one time, and I literally felt guilty because I knew my parents couldn't afford those cowboy boots. But David, I love those boots. Man, and listen, when my parents would buy me a new pair of shoes, I had, now young people, listen, I had these Oxford, we called them Buster Brown shoes. They were, they were brown and blue. Mariah, you're thinking, I'd never date a guy who wore brown and blue shoes. And I remember getting those Buster Brown Oxford shoes, brown and blue, and putting them on my dresser. I just looked at them. I was so excited about them. But let me tell you what I, let me tell you now. Man, I love my Bible. And I I got this Bible. It's a big Bible. Look at the print in that Bible. This is an amplified Bible. And, and I've never had an amplified Bible before. I've used sections, but I've, I've never owned one. I thought... Man, look at the print in this Bible. Now, I've had this Bible at least three or four weeks, maybe a month. And I'll read it. And I noticed this morning there was a page messed up on it. Boy, I got that out. And, and hey, when I get through using it, I put it back in this little sleeve again. Sheila's smiling, about to cry because she knows it's the truth. I love a Bible. I love the smell of it. I get excited about it. And let me tell you, this Bible here, if I will take it and I will put it in here, it'll keep me out of sin. It'll keep me self-aware. 
it'll, it'll tell me. Hey, listen, when the Holy Spirit says this, how you behaved in that fit of anger was unchristlike, and you are threatening your testimony to the people around you right now. In that moment, you know what the Holy Spirit says? The Holy Spirit brings up James where it says, for man's anger does not bring the righteous life that God desires. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reaches into the arsenal of the word that you put in your heart that you won't sin against God. The Holy Spirit reaches in, brings that up here to mind, and you go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have acted like that. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have behaved that way. Oh, God, I'm sorry. And you immediately then say to the people around that your testimony now is being threatened. Hey, I'm sorry. I overreacted. I was wrong. I want to ask you all to forgive me. And you know what happens to you? Your credibility as a Christian the question is are you hiding it in your heart? The question is, are you self-deceived? God, make me self-aware. I don't want to mess up. You may say, well, why is that important? Because there may come a day when God says to you as a parent, listen, do not let him go out that door. You've been in the Word. You've been in prayer. You've had an uneasy feeling all day long. You're not comfortable with that friendship. Something not right. And parent, let me tell you something. You put your big girl panties on, your underwear on men, pull them up real high. You man up. You woman up. And the Holy Spirit says to you in that moment, don't let him go out the door. Johnny Gooch, I close with this. Johnny Gooch, you've heard him. Johnny Gooch owned a, he owned a timber company, a lumber mill. He owned Cypress Depot over in Madison. Johnny Gooch has two daughters, and he has one son. The two daughters are here. The son is in heaven. His son had prayed to receive Christ. His son was pre-med. His son was a brilliant, good, gifted kid. And he said that him and his son, they would go back, they were right, he was a student at Ole Miss. And he told the friend of his who would often drive, they would often be together, he would say to the guy driving the car, he would say, you drive too fast and you need to slow that down. You, need to, you drive too fast. And this was Johnny's son's best friend. They'd go back and forth to Ole Miss together. On one particular day, Johnny said, I had an uneasy feeling. Senior Ole Miss, pre-med, gifted, good-looking kid. But he said a little while later, the call comes. Johnny, there's been an accident. Three students at Ole Miss, two in the front seat, one in the back. Johnny's son was in the back seat. And he was killed. 
Johnny Gooch is probably one of the few men that I would say is I would say is one of the top five finest men I know on the earth. But Johnny would tell every parent in this room this. You stay sensitive, plugged in, in prayer, in the Word of God, aggressively parenting your children by allowing the Holy Spirit to guide you because you're going to need it. And learn that sensitivity. Let's stand. Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You in the name of Jesus. And Lord, we pray today, Lord, may You keep us from that self-deception, that tendency in us to be oblivious to our behavior, uh, our words, the things we say, the stuff that we do. Lord, help us not to be self-deceived about our salvation, that we know that we know that we're saved. And if there's doubt and uncertainty, if we're unsure, then may we come to a point of settling it in our hearts. As I told a young couple this past week, a young woman who wept and cried, I said, you've been saved, but you've never put it in the right order. Now you need to follow in believer's baptism. You need to make it public. And God will give you just more peace. I pray, dear Lord, for those that may be self-deceived, that they're not aware that their life is not right with God and they need to come today and truly, radically be saved. Pray for those that have gotten confused about spiritual maturity. They've, they've long since quit digging deep into the Word. They, they, they don't pray like they used to. They don't attend church like they used to. They're not, they're not plugged in anymore. They have grown despondent, withdrawn. They believe spiritually that they're saved, but sanctification has hit some hard ground. They, they need to be awakened. Lord, I pray for those that spiritually need to be awakened to where they are really, truly with the Lord right now. They're not where they need to be. Oh, they can tell their testimony. They can talk about being saved. They can talk about what God has done in the past, but that's all it is. It's not what God is doing right now. It's not what God revealed in His Word this morning. It's not what God said to them during Sunday school. Their salvation and their sanctification is all in the past. They need a fresh anointing. They need, as Jacob did, to go back to Bethel to lay that head once again on a hard rock and see visions of God's angels up and down the ladder. They need a fresh anointing. They've gotten used to the dark. They've learned to live with a level of darkness and sin in their life, and they're comfortable with it. And the Holy Spirit is getting quieter. Or should I say their hearts are getting harder. God, speak to us as only you can. Wake us up. If we're self-deceived, make us keenly aware of ourselves and our behavior and change us, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.